Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. In the meantime, uh, we look uh, outside our own borders. Jonathan de Burke Butler is here once again to bring us some stories from other parts in the world. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Right, Israel uh, we're going to go to first. And an attack on a Protestant uh, cemetery. An attack on a Protestant cemetery on Mount Zion that happened on Sunday. Now, specifically, it was an Anglican cemetery. Now, this was a cemetery founded as far back as 1848, right? And apparently Mm. there are... 7,000 Anglicans in and around uh, Jerusalem, right, Uh, in that particular um, area. And the Anglican Church, obviously, in the UK, that is the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, came out and said that this was a blasphemous attack. The Archbishop um, of Jerusalem himself, Hossam Hossam Naum, has basically said that there was a, a noticeable increase in hatred speech and hatred crimes in and around Jerusalem against Christians. And he added that they've been spat at and various different things have happened in, in recent years. Now, this isn't the first time that this particular cemetery was desecrated. It happened nine years ago as well. And so obviously, you know, people, uh, political leaders and religious leaders came out and they condemned the attack and CCTV footage was found, right, pretty mm. much straight after. And it, it saw two young, youngish, what appeared to be youngish individuals in around the cemetery who had apparently come back to have a look at their handiwork, right, from hmm. the night before, apparently. There was over 30 graves and tombstones that were uh, destroyed here. And they have now been caught. There was a, a news press release went out yesterday, uh, or an update on the story at least, that two individuals aged 14 and 18 had been caught and uh, looked like they were going to be charged. So it's interesting, I think, because, you know... There was a lot of news wires that were basically saying that it was Jewish extremists that had been blamed for the vandalism. And I suppose their actions are extreme, are very extreme. Yes, yeah. yeah. Indeed. But whether they're part of a group, uh, you know, that cajoled them into, you know, doing this particular thing or they're just too stupid teenagers just let's say, that, yeah, yeah. Who, who went and did this is another question uh, entirely. Uh, though, is there a trend in general about kind of a hostility towards Christians? Yeah, but this is what the, the Archbishop uh, of Jerusalem was saying. He was saying that there's been a recent increase in spitting at Christians and attacks on their holy sites. And mm. I suppose the reason this stood out to me is because we've covered stories before where Jewish cemeteries have been desecrated in Europe and the like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I, I think it's only fair to sort of cover yes. the reverse in, in many uh, ways. Are, is there any indication where that hostility is coming from in an area when there's so many mutual hostilities? <laughs> uh, if I was to speculate, mm. um, I, I would say that if you were to take the recent uh, government that has been put in place in Israel... Mm. Uh, maybe they're giving more of a license for people to do this kind of thing. Uh, but towards Christians, I mean, obviously there's towards the Palestinian population. Yeah, there's yeah but uh, I mean, I, I suppose, I mean, I can't answer it directly, Sean, yes, to be honest yeah, with you. But yeah. I mean, I suppose if it's, if, it's, uh, if it's evidence of an uptick in violence against anything other than, you know, or Orthodox Judaism or whatever else, yeah. that might be part of it as well. Yeah. Uh, right, Japan, uh, we're going to go to next. And uh, this is an interesting one. That, uh, um, Well, it's interesting for a number. If you offer a grant for, to encourage people to move to an unfashionable <laughs> part of Japan, then the people who already live there go, 
Why would you mean unfashionable? Well, that's, so, a, that's a good point. Offence absolutely. for everyone in this yeah, one. Absolutely. I don't know if this may be a case of lost in translation with yeah. the use of unfashionable, <laughs> but certainly places that are not as populated as they used to be, right? So yeah. there's kind of two strands to this. So firstly, the government is offering a million yen per child to families who move out of Greater Tokyo, right? So there's two strands to it, as I said. They want to reverse population decline in the region, but they also want to reduce the amount of people that are living in Tokyo because yeah. it's overcrowded, 35 million people living Wired, in shoeboxes, yeah. you know? And uh, so the the incentive has been increased from three hundred thousand yen to to a million. Now that equates to about seven grand okay. in 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 euros. Okay, um, so it's it's a decent incentive. Uh, the reason they've upped it is because they've seen that when they first introduced it back in 2019, only 71 families took it up, right? 2020 went up a little bit to 290. And then in 2021, around COVID and remote working and all that kind of thing, 1,184 families took it up. So I think they've sort of said to themselves, okay, well, let's nudge this up a little bit and we might get even more. They're hoping for a target of 10,000 families by 2027, right? So this is 10,000 families outside of certain districts of Tokyo uh, and the greater metropolitan area. Yeah, are there, I assume they can't just kind of move there, stay for a fortnight, trouser the money and go back again. No, they have to stay there for five years. Uh, One member at least of the family has to be, you know, a decent breadwinner, right? That's either going to be, you know, their offices have moved to this place or they're working remotely or they're deciding that they're going to go there and they're going to open a new business, a coffee shop or whatever in the country, right? Mm. Uh, and there's also money for that as well. So there's extra incentives for people to start businesses in these areas. So you could, you know, if you have a good few kids, although in Japan they don't have that many and that's actually part of the problem. Uh, but if you have a good few kids, you could be looking at maybe, you know, nearly 30 grand and a uh, nice bit of money move out into the countryside and start a new life for yourself. Yeah, though I, I imagine there's a reason why 35 million people live in Tokyo because that's where the jobs are. Uh, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's where the jobs are, and that's where the bright lights are, and also the opportunity to meet uh, people of the other of the other sex, uh-huh. uh, even though they're not having that much according to the birth rates, uh, which are rapidly declining, and that's part of the problem. Uh, they've had this, you know, discrepancy between people dying and people being born for years to such an extent that they think that the population will drop by thirty percent by twenty sixty five. So Whoa. go down from one hundred and twenty five million to eighty eight million, and they can really do without that, given they live so long in Japan. Yeah, and is there also maybe a bit of a pensions time bomb going on there as well? well, That's exactly what the point is. I mean, there's uh, 90,000 people over the age of 100 living there. Wow. You know, so that's okay. 35 years or 30 years of pensions uh, that need to be paid for. So it, it's it's interesting because there's other countries in Europe that need to look at this, like Spain and Italy, uh, that need to look at what's going on in Japan and plan accordingly. Yeah. Right, France, we're going to go to your next, where uh, there are NGOs suing Danone. What did Danone do or is alleged to have done? Yeah, it's 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 what they didn't do, probably, which is is more the case. So this is uh, some environmental groups. One called Surfrider, another one called Client, Client Earth, and then Zero Waste France. Right now, Surfrider uh, specifically is an open, uh, sorry, an ocean protection group. All right, that mm. looks after that kind of thing, and they're obviously concerned about plastic ending up in the oceans. Right, and they say that Danone produces seven hundred and fifty thousand tons of the stuff, right? That's 75 Eiffel Towers, which they put in their press release to give us Mm -hmm. a visual idea of what that is. 
And they are taking Danone to court, right? They started the proceedings on Monday and they're saying they are failing to sufficiently account for all the plastic used along its production cycles. And they're able to do this because of a law that was brought in in France in 2017, suitably vague, right? So the French government came up with this lovely vague law, kind of think of it as a rugby pass. They ended up giving it over to these NGOs and they said, look, you set up the test cases here, yeah, right? Yeah. And so that's the, what they've done. So this law says that companies have a duty of care along supply chains to avoid harm to human rights and environment. As I said, suitably okay, vague, right? Yeah. But as part of that law, they have to; these companies have to come up with what they call a vigilance plan, right? So you've got to tell us how you're dealing with plastic and what you've done so far. Hmm. And this NGO, Surfrider, has said, Danone, in their latest report, haven't done enough around that. Now, they told them last September, we're going to take this further if you don't come up with a better plan, i.e. what we want to see. Okay. And so they've issued these proceedings. Now, we don't know if it's going to go ahead yet. There's probably going to be a hearing pretty soon, but a judge has to decide whether or not to open the lawsuit. And they're not looking for money, right? So they'll obviously yeah. look for, you know, payment if, if yeah. they win the case, but they're not looking for money. They just want a better plan and they want them to republish this uh, compulsory duty of care report. Uh, under the uh, vague French law, is mm. there, are there any detail as to how um, detailed the vigilance plan has to be? I mean, <laughs> if there isn't, they could just write, we'll be vigilant on a piece yeah, of paper that's, that's and that's it. That's a very good point. I don't know the answer to that yeah. question, but that is probably part of what we'll find out in, in this case, should it actually go ahead. But it's it's going to be an interesting one because you know, whatever about, you know, them winning or losing, it's certainly getting a lot of attention. And yeah. uh, were they to win, well, I mean, I, what that might mean for these companies is, is unthinkable. Well, presumably many other companies yeah, are absolutely. watching this very closely uh, as well. Uh, right. OK, so uh, we'll get to the United States. Uh, we're going to go to uh, now in sad news because uh, you won't see any more uh, um, very entertaining TikTok videos from any Anyone in the US House of Representatives? Why? I, uh, did, were they that good? No. That's <laughs> sarcasm. <laughs> I've never seen any TikTok videos from the House of Representatives. But anyway, uh, they won't be doing them anymore. And that's because the Chief Administrative uh, Officer of the House, Catherine Zippendor, has decided that she is going to not allow any of the staff or any of the representatives to have them on their government-issued phones anymore, right? And this is because, and she gave out a warning back in August about this, that there is a high risk to users, and she cited a number of security concerns around this. Now, the House of Representatives isn't the only place that's doing this. The state governments are also doing it. I believe 19 states have also uh, brought in this ban um, where people won't be allowed to to use TikTok on their government-issued phones. So it's something that is... um, Part of the suspicion, maybe paranoia, that they have around uh, TikTok, and they've had it for the last number of years, but they're really running with it now. It's like the new version of Reds Under the Bed. I well, I mean, this is because TikTok is, is owned by a Chinese company. Yeah, by a Chinese company, and who, it should be said, sorry to cut you off, Sean, yeah. but who, it should be said, last week admitted that its employees had access user data of, of journalists uh, to find a source of leaked company, company information. So they have a history Okay, of, well then there's know, something in it then. Yeah, uh, really, rather than data, just a yeah. simple paranoia. But d- d- in this instance, have they provided any evidence of any anything untoward going on on no. any no. of these US No, that's, that's a good question. Home. They haven't, as far as I can tell, they haven't. They're just saying that they're threats. And of course, our friend, we were going to hear a lot more about, I think, Marco Rubio. Mm. Isn't he going to go for president? They're talking about he it. He may well, yeah. Uh, he may he well. He has actually tabled a motion that would ban TikTok nationally. So that's like... 
taking it off the teenagers, taking it off everybody. Whoa. Yeah. Don't know if that'll win them any votes. I, well, I, well, well it's only going to win them any votes for any kids, but uh, <laughs> they can't vote. Uh, maybe the parents who have to explain it to their children Indeed. might be so keen either. Uh, right, uh, Tanzania, we're going to go to uh, now, and uh, rallies are, go- are, are allowed to commence. This is, is this a good news story? Yeah, it is. It is a good news story. This is a fascinating country because we've been sort of looking at it for a good few years, since about 2015, when, when our good now friend, now deceased, John Magafuli, was the president there. You remember he was called the bulldozer and he was a very much a strong man president, didn't like uh, dissent, didn't like free press, didn't like opposition rallies. Mm. Uh, and he brought this law back in in 2016. But they've got a new president there. Uh, Samia Hassan is her name. She's the first female president of Tanzania. She She's been there since 2021, so she's relatively new. And she has decided that she's going to reverse this uh, law that was imposed in 2026, okay, or this ban at least that was imposed in, in, sorry, in 2026, what am I saying? In 2016, sorry. And um, she's saying that the government will will be responsible for ensuring security during rallies, but I urge all politicians to also practice civilised politics. So she's saying, look... We'll allow this to happen, but we don't want these rallies to go out of hand. Not that they ever did, as far as I mm. was aware, even when Magafuli was uh, was in power. Um, it has been broadly welcomed by the opposition, uh, as you can imagine, yeah. um, because an awful lot of them were were off in exile. They'd been arrested, and you know, and several others were in exile. Um, so it's it's been broadly welcomed. So I suppose it is a good thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. So it's a kind of. Uh it, it, it's a baby step back towards yeah, uh, properly exactly. functioned democracy. And, and that's what they're trying to do. Now, her critics would say that it didn't come soon enough, but uh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, well, you're never going to please everyone in that <laughs> regard, I suppose. Right, Kenya, we're going to go to uh, finally, where apparently um, it, it's been revealed that the office of first daughter isn't an actual job. <laughs> it isn't an actual job. This is William Ruto, who again has only been in power for a very short period of time. I think he came in in October 2022. Um, and his daughter, Charlene, has decided to... Um, well, to use, shall we say, her newfound uh, spotlight to gain a, a bit of fame for herself. Now, she's gone into politics herself and she went to a summit that was uh, held in Tanzania, right? So the 2022 U Lead Summit. And while she was there, she introduced her delegation as being from the office of the first daughter. Mm. Uh, the press in Kenya picked up on this, of course, and they said, well, look, who's who came up with this idea? Who's paying for it? What's it all about? And she had to come out with a statement on December the 14th, the day after the, the, uh, the summit in Tanzania and said, look, she was sorry for referring to it as the office of the first daughter. It's her own private idea that she came up with. It's not funded by the state. It's her own private funds, that kind of thing. And she's using it basically as a platform to further the rights of young people and to you know focus on environmental issues yeah. and that kind of thing. How, how old is she? Well, you see, this is the thing. Ruto came out and he said, you know, First of all, he, he gave a media statement saying, look, leave my daughter alone. She's mm. only a girl and she's being a child. But the problem is she's in her mid-twenties. Um, right, so okay. it's not that okay. she's like a 15-year-old uh, right. just, just playing politics. And could she have just meant it as like a, you know, a humorous statement rather than she was making out it's an actual you, thing? You probably you probably could got, have got away with it if she hadn't rocked up to this summit basically saying this is my delegation from the office of the 
president but if it got a laugh <laughs> at the time, then, you know, maybe. But I don't know. I don't think so, to be honest with you. Okay. It's a bit of a stir anyway, but it's going to go, it's gone away now to, to, to uh, the most extent anyway. Right. Okay, so extent. what should we uh, look out for over the next week or so? Yeah, yeah so, so there's a few things. Um, all week, the new Japanese PM, Fumio Kishida, is on a bit of a world tour. So he's going to Canada, the UK and the USA to talk to the leaders of those countries about various different things. Um, the Czech Republic is holding a presidential election on Saturday, actually. And then there's two anniversaries coming up that I couldn't believe. It's 13 years since that awful earthquake in Haiti. And then 13 years since the ousting of President Ben Ali in Tunisia. Um, And they've gone back to the same sort of lack of democracy in that part of the world. But there you go. Indeed. Jonathan, thanks a million. Uh, As ever, uh, Jonathan DeBurka Butler there. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.